0: Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to 1 Peter. If you remember, last week we started a series of sermons out of 1 Peter, so we'll start there every week for the next several weeks. 1 Peter, still in chapter 1. You can see on screen we're talking about a holy life today and what is a holy life and those kinds of things. And I think it's pretty important because... We talk about a lot of stuff in church and in our culture. We talk about a lot of religious things and, uh, you know, different media personalities talk about their faith. Sometimes they're Christian, sometimes they're Jewish, sometimes they're Muslim, and so we may have questions about what holiness is. So, amazingly, God taught us what holiness is and is not. So, we're going to look at that today, and we're going to throw in a little bit of talk about the holiness movement, and so if you've ever been to a Pentecostal church or you knew someone who went to a Pentecostal church, uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about that today, too. And it'll be pretty interesting, I think. So uh, just keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking in First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 in just a moment. As always, we begin with prayer. So join me, please. I'll give you a few moments to pray silently where you are. I'll close, and then we'll look at this passage together. Let's pray, shall we? Father, again we gather and worship, we sing our songs of praise to you, and commit ourselves to you, and now we open ourselves up to your teachings and your word. We pray, Father, that as we study your word together, that your Holy Spirit can use this information to change our hearts, to influence us, to guide us into new life, to keep us from error and sin. We pray, Father, for understanding and wisdom. We pray for a willingness to love and give grace to others. Even as we learn to resist sin and, and perhaps ch- changes in our lives, help us to be patient with others and always be an encouragement. As always, Father, we pray knowing we're sinners, so we ask for mercy and forgiveness. We resist you in so many ways. Sometimes we ignore you, sometimes we resist you, sometimes we just don't pay attention. We ask for mercy and the cleansing that only you can give. We pray, Father, for those in our midst who struggle against sin. We pray for our culture that is immersed in sin. Good people doing their best, but they've been misled in so many ways. Help us to be an example. Help us to teach. Help us to give the ways of life to others with grace and compassion and mercy. Lord, this morning we pray for our nation and its leaders, for those who have power over us, some elected, some appointed. Regardless, guide and direct them. Even when we disagree with them, we pray that they would be given wisdom and restraint and a spirit of compassion. We pray that our nation will learn to stand together again. We are divided on so many issues. We ask, Father, for your help. Help us to right the wrongs of the past. Help us to create a foundation for a future that is good and wholesome and healthy. We pray, Father, that the church could be a model of how people can love each other, even as we disagree. As always, we pray for our first responders and those in the military and their families. Keep them safe in their areas of service. Use them to protect life. We pray that you would comfort them in their losses. And Father, be with each of us. We struggle against so many things in this life. We pray for wisdom and patience. We pray for the strength and comfort that you can give through truth and your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this life, for this great nation and the privileges and wealth that we share. And we pray, Father, that we would work so others might have these kinds of opportunities for blessings. Speak to us now from your word, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is spirituality and holiness and all those kinds of things in our culture because the way things are, we read on Facebook and TikTok and all those places, including TV, and everybody has an opinion about what is right and wrong and what the Bible says and what the, what the Bible doesn't say. And as you know, everybody has a different opinion. And it was a joke in preacher school that if there were 50 preachers in a room, there would be at least 75 opinions about what a preacher or is taught. We just understood that we we're going to disagree. And the, preachers, uh, the preacher teachers had this outrageous idea that as Christians, we should be able to get along even when we disagree disagree. disagree and that we as young preachers had never heard that idea before we thought that the idea of studying the Bible was to be able to fight people with Scripture and to that end I was I was able to memorize a lot of Scripture so for several years I earned I memorized a passage of Scripture a day and I did that for several years and I would spend hours a day on memorization and my sole purpose was to beat someone in an argument and one of my professors confronted me said, Kevin that's wrong I said what I win. He goes, that's not the point. And I didn't understand that the goal of Christianity was to draw Christians together. And so that spirit still continues in the church today. And so we have to be careful when we learn something that we don't use it as a tool against someone else. So what we're going to do is begin by watching a video of a church from the holiness movement. And the holiness movement, you've probably heard, that's Pentecostalism called by a lot of things, talking about tongues and moving in the spirit and those kinds of things. And this video is four and a half minutes long, kind of tedious, but I wanted you to see just one example of what's going on. Hopefully, Debbie can get it going. Debbie? This church, says he wants the Holy Ghost, he's ready to have a new congregation, he's ready to see the Holy Ghost move. I a To fill his whole church. All right, brother. Are you ready? He's drunk as a badger. Go ahead. Let that Holy Ghost language come up out of you. Go ahead. And you say, wow. (laughs) Just so you'll know, this is common. And this isn't a bizarre thing. I I didn't have to search but about 10 seconds for this video to come up. I just punched in crazy religious people and bam, there I was. And had at least a 1,000 videos very similar to this. In fact, this was one of the more calm videos. This is common in Christian history. Actually, it's common in Muslim history. It's common in Hindu history. All religions, almost all religions, have a holiness movement within them, which is all very similar. It's very emotional, very expressive. And sometimes people will say, you're not holy. And this idea of holiness means you act like this. So, for those of you that sit there like this, going, they are crazy. We have to think, well, what is it? Where does that leave us? And uh, the first Pentecostal I ever met was my grandma. Grandma Jewel was a short, fat grandma. She was the best in the world. She could make mashed potatoes that were to die for. And the doctor told her to quit going to church and tent revivals. This was back in the 20s and 30s, 1920s and 30s, because she would get so excited and she would do that very thing running up and down the aisles, shouting and speaking in tongues and all those kinds of things that she had what looked like heart attacks back in those days. So she had to be told to stop going because the doctor thought she was going to die at a church service and he knew that that would mess up with the movement of the spirit. So anyway, she was a frustrated Pentecostal every time after that. But anyway, that was one of those jokes of the family and my dad told me he saw his mama doing that and always thought that was pretty incredible doing those kinds of very things well this is like I said very common in religious life around the world in almost all religions they have a holiness movement it's called different things that's what it's called in Christianity and it's all in pursuit of something called holiness because there is this idea That if you're close to God and you're very spiritual, that eventually you gain something called holiness. It's very Christian actually. So today we're going to talk about what holiness is and isn't and those kinds of things. And Peter brought this up. Remember, in 1 Peter he was writing to Christians that were literally struggling to stay alive. It was hard being a Christian. They were being persecuted. Some had been killed. Some had been beaten. Many had lost everything. And they were going to church and going through this thing. And it was hard. And they were beginning to drop out for all the obvious reasons. And so Peter wrote them about how to maintain their faith. when it didn't look like God cared anymore. So follow along with me if you would. I'll read in First Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 16. And then we'll talk about it. Peter says... Therefore, gird your minds for actions, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So remember, here's the setting. They're struggling for a word. They want to be told, if you pray, God will protect you and everything will be easy. And instead, he finished by saying, be holy. It's almost as if Peter had this understanding that instead of worrying about how happy you are in this life and whether or not you get everything you want, instead, just focus on your relationship with God and give yourself over to God's leadership. As if that was the goal. Turns out that's exactly what he was saying. The goal of the Christian life is not to get what you want. The goal of the Christian life isn't necessarily to achieve temporary happiness. The goal of the Christian life is to honor God. The goal of the Christian life is to be holy. Not holy per the TV show, but holy, a sense of spirituality. So we're going to talk about that today. So on screen you can see this idea that God calls his people to live holy lives Now just, I know that some of you are in Terry's class and you're studying about angels. If you would, look at verse, let's see, verse 11. No, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the scenes which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, something about angels, and again, Terry's class is studying angels and things like this, so I thought they'd find this interesting, that angels aren't like us. They're not human beings with wings. That's a misperception. They're created beings, and they do not experience salvation. They're not like us at all, in, in any way, shape, or form. And they can only imagine what salvation is like. So, when we talk about salvation... And the experience of rebirth and regeneration and forgiveness of sins, they can't relate to that at all. It is literally a foreign language to them. And so he brings that up. Isn't it interesting? He says holiness in this Christian life is something that only the angels can imagine. They they just can't get it. He's trying to get Christians to realize that God has done a special work within the Christian heart. So this thing, salvation, that we call, that we often take for granted, is really a wonderful thing. We talked about that last week, how your salvation is a wondrous gift from God. He's just saying, listen, you think angels are all that. They do not have what you have, because what you have in Christ is very special. So he talks here, since you're Christians, there is a way by which you should live. And on screen are some things that he gives here. And these are salvation-based practices. They're right out of this passage of Scripture. So you can see, first thing that he wants us to do, and this is how Christians are to survive when times are hard, is think clearly. That's what girding your mind means. You've probably seen the old pictures. You know, they wore robes in those days. When they got ready for battle or to run, they would tie that robe up so their ankles wouldn't get caught in the flowing robes and they were girding their loins for action. And that meant you got ready to fight and get to work. And so, when he says, gird your mind, he says, all right, put your thinking caps on, learn from scripture, allow God to teach you, and apply your teachings to this life. So, one aspect of surviving difficult times is keep your head together. Think clearly. You gotta adjust your head. I learned to use that phrase a long time ago. Adjusting your head is when you learn to think for the situation. You know, sometimes you just have to do it. You're, if you're gonna be in a family situation, let's say you're going to a family reunion. And there is that cousin you have that just disgusts you to the bone and for whatever reason you just can't stand him or her and you know you're going to end up sitting next to him because that's what people do to you at family reunions right and you have to get yourself ready that's adjusting your head and you're gonna say okay I'm not gonna let him push my buttons I'm not gonna bring this topic up I'm not gonna do this and let him get me this time that's adjusting your head girding your mind is adjusting your head When hard times come, talking to Christians, you gotta adjust your head. Start thinking like God is still working. You have to remind yourself, God still loves me. God's still with me. The Bible's still true. I'm still a Christian because oftentimes what Christians do when things are hard, they tend to think, okay, God doesn't love me anymore. And you'll hear people say that. I remember one time I was with my brother and my brother was sort of a Christian. I, I don't know that he was Christian or not, but he was a really funny guy. And we were going down the road in the little hot rod. We had been going over 100 miles an hour for over an hour, driving to Christmas dinner. And his car broke down. And he stopped. He said, okay, God, why do you hate me? Now, God didn't hate him. But that was his response. God didn't hate him. His car eventually started. We went on the way, made dinner. But sometimes people do that. They get in a difficult situation. And they begin to think, well, God doesn't love me anymore. Peter would say, gird your mind. Think clearly. God loves you regardless of the situation. Whether people are dumping on you or not is irrelevant. God still loves you. You're still a Christian. Eternity is still secure. You're still forgiven forever. Girding your mind. And that, what that means is, take biblical teaching and allow it to change you and make you stronger. So think clearly. Number two, exercise self-control, which means keep sober in the spirit is the passage there, which means do not let your emotions do, make you do dumb things. Can you ever imagine anybody doing something dumb because they got emotional? Don't hold your hand up. But you know those people, don't you? Not you, of course, but you know somebody who's done something dumb or ignorant or self-destructive because they allow the emotions of the moment affect them. Peter says, all right, you guys, I know you're afraid. You've been picked on by the Roman soldiers. Your pagan neighbors are picking on you, and they've busted the windows out of your storefront, and all sorts of things are going on. It was normal for them to be angry. And when people attack you, what do you want to do? Well, you want to hit them, don't you? You want to hit them back. When they hit you, you want to hit them back. I get it. And that's exactly what the Christians were starting to do. Instead of responding with Christian love and grace, instead of demonstrating this salvation that was real, they were starting to act like pagans. They were starting to let the emotions of the moment affect them. They were getting into arguments. They were screaming and yelling at the non-Christians. In other words, they were throwing away their Christian witness just because they were tired of. And it was hard. So fast forward 2,000 years. It's easy for Christians to get mad at non-Christians. We live in a world, well my world is, I watch the news and I get mad. And I'm almost ready to throw something through the TV. Fact is, I thought the other night, if my TV wasn't so heavy and didn't cost so much, I would have thrown it out the window. But it was bolted to the wall, so good thing. I couldn't let my emotions do that. But I know that you do that too. You get mad, you yell at somebody on TV, right? Because they teach something that's crazy. Or you watch a video like I just showed. And you think, those people are stupid. And we say things that aren't Christian. And we think things that aren't Christian. Sometimes the people that make us angry are Christians. Sometimes they're not. What you have to do as Christian in facing difficult circumstances is act Christian. Regardless of circumstances. You can't let your emotions and your frustrations and your fears and angers dominate you. So think about some of the things in our culture that are going on. What we have to do is learn to think clearly and demonstrate some self-control. So when we talk to somebody who disagrees with us on a political issue and you want to hit them, you don't. And you want to scream at them, you don't. And you want to disagree with them, you can do that. But instead of saying, you're an idiot, get away from me, like we want to say, instead you say, one of my friends said it like this, I could not disagree with you more strongly. I remember when he said that, I thought that was almost funny, almost bust out laughing. But he said it in a context of several preachers, and we were all really angry, and he said it that way, and everybody stopped, and it had a calming effect. And I've thought about that a lot over the years. He said it, he made his convictions known, and it had a calming effect. I thought, I want to be able to do that. I haven't always done it, and neither have you. So what you have to do is think clearly and exercise self-control. Remember, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is being able to control yourself when your emotions are worked up. This is where you do the right thing even when you don't want to, where you resist the impulses of the moment. That's part of following Jesus. So in hard times, when you're frustrated at work and you go home and the dog's in the way and the cat's in your chair and somebody's in a bad mood, that doesn't mean attack them because you're in a bad mood too. That means stop and think clearly and control yourself. Instead of making things worse with an outburst of emotion, instead, slow it down, back it up a notch... Count to 10 or 100 or 1,000, whatever you need, and try to be encouraging to people. It's amazing to me how someone can walk into a group of people that are angry and worked up, and they can often change the tenor of the whole meeting just by one gracious comment because you remind Christians how they're supposed to act. If you want to be a bully, you can do that. That's not what God wants. God wants you to be an encourager, To disagree agreeably and to love people even when they disagree with you. That's self-control. On the next screen, we have a couple more. Look forward to the blessings of Christ's return. Look at verse 13. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. Which means is, remember you're still saved. Isn't it amazing that it says that? No matter what. No matter how bad the situation is, even in life and death situations, it is appropriate to think about your salvation. I thought about that a lot over the years because I remember growing up in a time, and in the 60s there was a lot of turmoil, and I would hear preachers talk about salvation, and Billy Graham would talk about salvation instead of talking about slavery and all the unrest, and he would talk about salvation. I thought, buddy, you're not even relevant. And I didn't realize he was doing exactly what Peter was teaching. Help people to focus on the one thing that never changes. On the one thing that gives hope, regardless of the circumstances. Because no matter what kind of problem or circumstances in your life, the gospel makes a difference. Because it means God can work and change things forever. So, look forward to the blessings of Christ's return. Think about your salvation. It doesn't make everything go away. That's not the point. It reminds you that the stuff of right now isn't all there is. God is still working. And then finally, the last one, verse 14. Do not be conformed to the former lust. In other words, don't go back to your old way. In the first century, what was happening was these Christians that had worked so hard to to clean up their lives and become Christian in their behavior were beginning to realize it was hard. And because they acted like Christians, people would know they were Christians. And they were suffering because of it. So they were beginning to stop acting like Christians. They were starting to act like everybody else. To talk like everybody else. To tell jokes like everybody else. And all those kinds of things. For the simple purpose of making their life easier. They were walking away from their faith. Peter said, listen, you can't do it. Remember your salvation. Remember the God that is God. When you were saved some time ago, he's still in control. You're still Christian. God still loves you. So don't let this circumstance destroy the progress that you've made in your life. Because if you're like me, you look back over your life from years or months or however long it's been you're a Christian, and there have been incremental changes where God is shaping you and making you better than you were. Giving you control over your mouth, perhaps, or your temper, or your passions or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Peter says, listen, your salvation is too important to go back on it now. So, to Christians that were struggling, some were dying. He said, you just follow God. Remind yourself you're still Christian. It's always relevant, and it's always true. Even when circumstances make it hard, One of the other things he talks about here is building on that and he talks about how we are obedient children and then he starts talking about this thing called holiness. So on this next screen we see this idea that holiness comes as a result of God's works in our lives. So if you would, look at verses 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now those are quotations from an Old Testament passage in Leviticus. Three times, Moses and his people were said, God said, You be holy, for I am holy. So there's that Precedence. So this is why Christians in churches have always talked about holiness. There's a, a rich tradition of holiness in the, in the uh, Jewish movement too. So remember that. This isn't something new that Pentecostals have invented or anything like this. Holiness, having a life devoted to God, is something that God wants us to do. A couple of things here. He says you're obedient children. Trying to avoid the bad microphone juju over there. The first things we've talked about so far about controlling your temper and those kinds of things. Those are things that you do. Those are things that you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Self-discipline, self-control, and those kinds of things. You do that. And that's a verb form, active and middle verb. And for those of you that are grammarians and study that kind of thing, those are active and middle verbs. But in this instance where he said, be holy, he used the passive verb. Now, I know most people don't care about that, but but a passive verb is something where something is done to you. So, you don't control whether you're holy or not. You open yourself up to God's leadership, and in the process, he makes you holy. You see, you don't make yourself holy. You discipline your life You practice self-control, the Holy Spirit gives you, and all those kinds of things. Holiness comes because you allow God to work in your life. So you don't have control necessarily. All you can do is prepare your life for God to work. Remember that parable of the sower that Jesus told, where the sower sows seeds, some as on soil of rock, and some as on soil, that's good stuff, and so on and so forth. And sometimes the seed grows and sometimes it doesn't. That's what he's talking about. Holiness grows in your life when you prepare the soil, when you open your heart to God, when you recognize the sin and the problems in your life, and then you allow God to change you. So on screen, we have a definition set apart for use by God, for ministry, to proclaim the gospel message, and to bring glory to God. And really, the term holy means set apart. It doesn't mean spiritually superior to anybody. It means your life is set apart for God's use. So what it is, is you allow God to change you, to teach you, and you go through this gentle, gradual transformation where eventually you are a piece of work that God can use. And God can use you. You know, sometimes we realize that I need to be able to do that, but I can't do that yet because I shot my fat mouth off or something like that. I can't get in control of my temper. When you gain control of yourself, when you gain control of your temper or your emotions or whatever, then God can use you and sometimes we have to wait for that. Now, God can use anybody at any time. He's God. But sometimes He wants to use you and you're just not ready. Holiness is where God is... In the gradual process of changing you so he can use you. That's one of the goals. Being a kind of person that God can use. If you're undisciplined and you don't know anything about the Bible and you're new, sometimes he can't use you yet. Doesn't mean you need to quit or give up. Just invest yourselves in faith. And eventually, God can use you. So on screen, there's a couple of very simple things. Holiness is... Allowing God to change your heart, we talked about that. A lifelong process. No one ever gets to the place where they are holy and done. Holiness is a process. People that have been Christians three weeks can have a sense of holiness within them and 50 years later, they're still working on it. And that's normal. No one's ever done. When someone says they've received the gift of holiness in their finished product, they don't understand. That's not what the Bible teaches us. It is a lifelong process where you give over yourself to God and it begins to set you apart for his purposes. And the last one, a lifestyle or action that manifests Christ-like behavior and attitudes. So, how do you act like a Christian? Well, you act like John the Baptist. You know, sometimes you'll hear Christians say that. I went to preacher school and I told you that. I went to... Uh, school with over 600 preachers, and you would hear people say sometimes, always the obnoxious ones, by the way, I want to be like John the Baptist. The Bible does not teach us to be like John the Baptist. The Bible teaches us to be like Jesus. So in a situation where people challenge you, do you want to be like John the Baptist and shoot your mouth off and maybe get yourself killed, or do you want to be firm and gracious and offer people God's grace? That's what Jesus did. Now, it got him killed. You're right. No easy ways out of this. God wants you to be like Jesus. That's holiness. Has nothing to do with what we saw on screen. And I'm not being critical of them. That's the way some people express their faith. That's not for me. Probably isn't for you either, or you would be at a different church. But we don't need to beat up anybody. We don't need to be critical of anyone just because they have a different version of holiness. But as Christian, what we have to do is learn to think like biblical teachings. It's a lifestyle or action that manifests Christ-like behavior and attitudes. So when you get into a discussion and it's getting into an argument, you're talking about politics, homosexuality, or the trans movement, or anything. It doesn't really matter and you feel yourself heating up and you know that it's coming, you're gonna blow up and spew. This is where as Christian, you say, okay, what do I need to be doing here? You need to be backing it off a notch. You need to get some control over your mouth and your temper and you can do this. You know this, right? You can control the way you express your emotions. You can control your tongue. The fact that you never have doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means you don't want to. It's really that simple. So what you have to do is teach that. I heard this in action the other day. I went to the Lake City plant. They had an open house. Went with my, son and my daughter and her family. And they have Henry, a, seven, a seven-year-old, and Betty, a four-year-old. And Betty is just like her mama. She was born with her mouth open and has been that way all along. And Betty was in a bad mood. She was hot and sweaty and she doesn't like that kind of weather and all those kinds of things. And her mama said, now Betty, you know we're not going to do this. You're going to get control of yourself and you're going to calm down. And amazingly, the little four-year-old calmed herself down. She's being taught how to do it. You see, that's a life lesson. You can control yourself. It's exactly what Peter's saying. You can control yourself. Manifest Christ-like behavior. So holiness is these things. On screen, the next frame. Holiness is not a result of hard work on your part. You don't earn it. All you can do is prepare the soil and allow God to work. Memorizing 50 verses of scripture doesn't make you holy. When I was in college, memorizing scripture, that's what I thought it went. You learn a bunch of verses so you can beat people in an argument, that's it. And I was wrong completely. Holiness has nothing to do with how smart you are or how much you've studied. Acting religious all the time doesn't necessarily mean you're holy. Nothing wrong with acting religious, some people do that and it's real. But a lot of times, we have phrases for people that are phonies, holy rollers, right? Those kinds of things. And we have to be careful that we do not become those people who are so religious that we turn people off. Religious is, religion is a way of talking. And so, being holy isn't necessarily to like that. Interestingly enough, Jesus was very popular. Jesus never turned anybody off he was gracious and kind. He never got, went too far and said crazy things. People generally wanted to be around him. That's the model. Somebody who's gracious and kind and firm in their faith. Finally, dressing or acting in a particular way all the time. On the video, and the reason I chose this particular video was, those guys thought they were presenting a model for holiness. Doing the jig and dancing around. And then did you notice that they would run around and do this holy run thing? And that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm not being critical of them. That's just not necessarily a way of demonstrating holiness. You don't have to act like that. Because I know some of you were thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. You don't have to. You can, that's okay. It's not necessarily sin or evil, but it's not necessarily what Jesus wants in us. So just pay attention to that kind of thing. Study scripture, allow God to use you, and just remember, just being yourself, submitting to God's leadership, and allowing God to lead you, that's being holy. On screen is the final passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience... Showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, Paul writing about the same thing what you must do as Christians is try to demonstrate a Christ like spirit at all times. Treat people like Jesus treated people. The Apostle Paul is not your model, John the Baptist is not your model, Elijah the prophet. <clears throat> Good people, all. They are not your model, Jesus is your model. That's why there are four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, They give us detailed accounts of how Jesus acted in different situations. That's your example. Love people. Keep your mouth and your emotions and things under control. Fight when you have to, but at all other times, be gracious and loving and offer forgiveness. That's holiness. That's the kind of life that God wants us to live. We're going to stand up in just a moment and Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. And it's just an invitation where you get a chance to respond to God. The choice is not just to receive Jesus as Savior, that's part of it, but also to turn your life over to God to say, I want holiness in my life and I want God to control me. And you make that choice And then you allow him to work. And if you want to to do that and make that decision public, you can if you'd come forward. Why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us. Let take these words that we heard today, let us take these lessons, let us take those into our everyday life, and let us do it in your name. Thank you for everything you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.